Easter is just around the corner, and what better way to celebrate the spring season than with a Miki Couture blanket? Whether you're gathering with family for an Easter egg hunt or just enjoying a quiet day at home, Minky blankets are the perfect addition to your Easter festivities. Made with ultra-soft and luxurious materials, these blankets will keep you cozy and comfortable, while their stylish designs will add a touch of spring to your day. And with a wide range of colors and patterns to choose from, there's a Minky blanket for everyone. So this Easter, make your day even brighter with a Minky Couture blanket. Head to MinkyCouture.com now and find your perfect blanket just in time for Easter. Happy Easter from Minky Couture. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frogs. From the Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get-go, boy Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your hosts, Jeremy Donovan And the young boy, Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style Here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network This is your host, Jeremy Donovan Joined always by my co-host, the young boy, Josh Smith. We've got a jam-packed show tonight. We're gonna be, we have a mailbag questions. We're going to be talking about the two Road to Tokyo Dome shows, Lionsgate Project 10, and all the big news going into Wrestle Kingdom 12. And we're going to start off with the mailbag questions. Josh, we have a few questions in the mailbag this week. Nice, man. I'm glad that we uh, actually had some listeners uh, give us questions this week. <laughs> and uh, I'm excited to see what people are asking us, uh, get our opinions, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So first question comes from Ricky and Clive. You can find the Ricky and Clive wrestling show here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. They say, in your opinion, what makes New Japan so different to WWE? More creative freedom to give to wrestlers, less third parties to satisfy shareholders, TV companies, or something else? Whew. What a question. <laughs> we could do a whole podcast about just this question. What's the difference between the WWE and New Japan? Man, uh, so, I mean, I don't have, like, a canned answer to that. Do you – You have, I mean, I have, like, a lot of little things that I can point out. Right. I mean, I, I would say the, the probably the biggest thing is New Japan – treats it like it's a sport like it's a legit sport mm-hmm. and the whole country of japan treats it like it's a legit sport i mean it's covered in the newspaper it's covered in all the big sports uh journals um you know these guys are athletes they're respected as so the product is treated like a sport wins and losses matter yeah uh, I, I would agree with that it's it's interesting that you say that it's sports style because you know, when you watch it, there's still the sports entertainment aspect to New Japan Pro Wrestling, but you know that that's the, that comes along with the territory of you know worked wrestling. You know what I mean? But at the same time, they still treat it with a sense of gravity or like a sense of realism. That even though like I'm sure everyone over there knows that it's a work because it's presented and treated as though it's you know something that's a little more serious and prestigious. The way that maybe like. I don't know if WWE has ever been like a 
or but it definitely I mean there's a big difference like 15 20 years ago to how it was treated and you know uh, as to how it is now or you know it's a good analogy not that it's exactly the same but uh, like Jim Crockett and the NWA I mean they had all sorts of crazy gimmicks things like that but it was still sport centered wrestling product versus you know the outlandish like cartoon characters of like WWE that sort of thing exactly and there's a big difference in the in ring style you oh, know, we, we call our show keeping it strong style. I mean, strong styles. That's the what they wrestle in New Japan and pretty much all Japan promotions. You know, that hard hitting, a lot of grappling. Um, you know, WWE doesn't do like the same. It's not the same at all. I mean, yeah. I mean, you really have to. Um, I mean, <laughs> to kind of draw the comparisons between the two, it's cr- or like the differences is kind of crazy. But you know. New Japan at this point in their history, they're so heavily influenced by um, two main things. One would be Inoki's, uh, Antonio Inoki, the founder, his theory of what uh, strong style wrestling was supposed to be. And he was, his entire idea was to present it as though it was a sport. In fact, it was a precursor to what uh, became MMA. And it was wrestling that was supposed to be presented as a real art form that was that centered on grappling as like real shoot grappling and heavy strikes mixed, you know, coming from like karate. Whereas like the North American style of wrestling is uh, it, it's not this it's not like that. You know what I mean? And then uh, the other the other big like influencer on New Japan modern times, at least in the heavy heavyweight division is, you know, uh, the changes that came over from all Japan during the 90s with the King's Road style and what we had uh, the King's Road style, like with the guys like Mizawa, Kenta Kobashi, uh, Kiritawa, um, Kawada, uh, Jun Akiyama, all those guys who were doing, you know, some of the best wrestling in the history of the sport. And that heavily influenced the type of wrestlers that you see nowadays. And it's almost like what we call strong style isn't what like Inoki was doing in the 70s and 80s, but altogether that idea of strong style, this hard hitting, realistic type wrestling, that's the biggest difference is that it is intense in your face. Um, you know, they don't pull punches the way that they do in right. WWE. I mean, guys do really get hit in New Japan. Like, if you have a, a trained eye, you can watch a WWE match to kind of tell where some strikes are kind of pulled or maybe they're not hitting as hard as they possibly could. I mean, you watch a New Japan match, especially if you watch guys like, you know, uh, Suzuki or uh, Ishii. I mean, they're going at it. I mean, they're hitting you hard in a safe spot, but they're they're taking it to you. There's other big uh, differences. For instance, you know, WWE is a content-based, episodic TV-producing wrestling company, whereas New Japan doesn't have a weekly television program that they're producing. They do tours. Right. New Japan kind of follows the old method where the uh, the house shows are kind of the big deal. It's all about the tours. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily about the TV. The tours and the house shows build to the big shows. Right. And that's how it kind of used to be back in the day before... You know, you had your Monday Night Raws and your uh, Nitros and Impacts and all that stuff. You know, people would have to go to these house shows to see what was going on and keep up with that to build up to these big, bigger shows. Uh, New Japan, the, the focus is on the wrestling. Um, you're not going to turn on any show at any point in the year with New Japan and get a 15-minute talking segment at the start of a show. It doesn't happen. Uh, you do get promos, but they are usually either... 
it's very it's very rare when you do get a, a promo when it happens it's very important like uh, even we're going to talk about here recently Tanahashi came out for a promo and he was making an announcement uh, guys really only come out to like make announcements of future matches to set up angles or um, after a match to like celebrate a victory uh, most of the promo work that they do end up doing is presented at press conference type scenarios after the matches or before a match very rarely are you going to see two guys give verbal jabs in front of each other for like 30 minutes to, or like, you know, 10, 15 minutes to start a show. It just, it doesn't happen. That's a huge difference. Right. Another thing, there's no like on-screen authority figure. There's no right. general manager, commissioner, whatever you want to call it, that's going to come out and, you know, become the star of the show. You know, uh, New Japan has the IWGP, which is the governing body that makes the title matches. Quote, unquote. <laughs> the quote, unquote, governing body that makes all the decisions. I mean, that would be the equivalent to their kind of general manager authority kind of thing. It's kind of like uh, when Jack Tunney was in charge. Right. The golden age. <laughs> um, and so you don't have any of that. And so... I mean, I mean, we can go on and on and on about all different differences. I mean, I, I'm having fun. This is a. I didn't think I would enjoy this question as much, <laughs> but there's there's a lot of cool stuff. Um, oh, uh, well, another thing. This is kind of interesting. There's very few gimmick matches. They almost exclusively do straight wrestling matches. Right. Um, I mean, this last year was the, the first time there was a ladder. Was that last year or two years ago? The first time there was a ladder match. It was with it uh, was Kenny Elgin Omega and, and Elgin yeah. for the Intercontinental Title. Yeah, that was different. That was the first time they ever did that. Um, they've never had a cage match ever <laughs> in New Japan, and very rarely in Japan do they even have them, which is interesting. Um, Definitely no stairs matches. <laughs> what's a stairs match? You know, and, and you know, sometimes with TLC they do tables, ladders, chairs, and stairs. No. Oh my gosh, you've never seen a stairs match. There's a reason I'm hosting a New Japan podcast, man. <laughs> Um, there. Oh, uh, something else. So you asked us about the creative freedom given to the wrestlers. There is creative freedom. So I mean, obviously there's bookers, um, but there's not agents laying out the matches for these guys. So they are responsible for setting up their own matches, their own spots, and to construct a match the way that they see fit. They're not being micromanaged. Yeah, and nobody's handing them a script saying, "Here, read this tonight." Yeah, there's no scripted promos. I mean, their promos. I mean, I'm sure uh, Ghetto and Jado say, "Hey." here's the bullet points and then those guys just go out and you know freestyle the promo and make sure they hit the bullet points that ghetto gives to them uh the the face and heel alignment although it does exist because of the sport centric nature of what they do it's much more um blurred right there are a lot of times that you will get uh face versus face heel versus heel because i mean you're trying to see who the best guy is it's not always the good guy versus the bad guy. I mean, heel, both heels want to be the top guy, then you're going to have two heels fighting each other. I think at this point, it's pretty much established that like their champion, Okada, being the ace, is essentially a face for the most part. But there was a period there, like a year or two ago, where he was still transitioning and he was kind of a heel. And it kind of depended on who he wrestled. He would transition from face to heel, depending on the feud. And there's a lot of guys who are in that similar situation because... Um, it's not always so much a good versus evil as much as it is like the the contest of who is the better wrestler essentially just like in regular sports there there there's guys who are ultra evil guys who are ultra good and then you got a lot of like shades right. of gray there it's almost kind of that thing where like the fans 
you know, they're, they're not always booing or cheering the good guy, bad guy. They're picking, like, their favorite team, quote-unquote, their favorite person to get behind. So, like, for example, this whole the Okada-Naito rivalry, which we're going we're gonna to talk about a little bit more later on in the show. But you have Okada, who's pretty much a babyface. Naito, who's a heel. But if you listen to the crowd reactions, it's pretty much 50-50 with people, half the crowd cheering for Okada, half the crowd cheering for Naito. Talking about crowds, that's another thing to think about. So this is just Japan in general. It's not even really the way the company has established things, but culturally, you'll notice a lot of matches are pretty quiet. And as an American fan, it's almost jarring the first time you see it because you think that the maybe, the, and you'll notice the match is really good and the crowd's quiet and you don't understand what's going on. And it's because they they have a, uh, and it's not always like this, but a lot of the times they're respectful of the performers. So they sit in silence to almost just be respectful. And then they pop for the, the big moves and the things that actually get them going. When you actually hear a, a New Japan crowd get like heat or like, you know, go crazy, go crazy then you know something major is happening because they don't always do that and it's uh it's a it's a big deal actually over there you know it's something pretty funny um you know there are some american fans that go to these shows and i was watching a power struggle on access earlier today uh the u.s title match with kenny omega and trent beretta and the one of the table spots they did you can hear the American fans going, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit, like the five of them. And, you know, Japan fans don't do that. <laughs> no, they, they did it during the, uh, they did it uh, at last year's uh, Best of the Super Juniors with the Ricochet and uh, Osprey match. Yeah. And hearing, hearing Japanese fans do that at Cork and Hall is so great. I remember being like, are they really chanting this right now? Um, oh, another thing. Uh, so there is a large, there is a really big emphasis on tag team wrestling or multi-man wrestling um the top stars throughout the year very rarely wrestle one-on-one and when they do it's usually only in match matches that mean something or title matches things that have title content or tournaments um i I was even reading something on reddit today someone put out a post about the top six guys in new japan and their win and loss records and you know I think it was like Okada had like 18, maybe 19 singles matches that the whole year on right. record because they only wrestle one-on-one on the big shows throughout the rest of the year. It's multi-man matches, and that's right. how their business is set up. And um, that, that saves your big matches. You don't exhaust all your big one-on-one matches. And uh, something else you mentioned, tournaments. Uh, New Japan does a lot tournaments. Yeah, that's another uh, one. You know, you have the G1 Climax in the summer. You have Best of the Super Juniors. Mm-hmm. You have uh, Best of the Super Juniors Tag. You have the World Tag League, which we just finished. You have all these big tournaments. And WWE, I mean, they used to be King of the Ring. They don't really do that anymore. Every once in a while, you'll have like a Gold Rush tournament where they need to determine a number one contender or a champion. But it's not an emphasis. Vince, Vince McMahon hates tournaments. <laughs> I mean, that's been very clear. You know, Pritchard's mentioned it. And several other ex-writers have mentioned that that Vince does not like tournaments. Um, Speaking of titles, their titles are treated with extreme respect and prestige. uh, All the way from the top where you have the IWGP title, which is essentially their world title, going all the way down to the six-man never tag titles, which is essentially their, like, that'd be like their European or hardcore title, essentially. Um, 
even that is treated with a lot of respect. It is it's a big deal to get a title push of any sort. Right. And they they keep track of the number of champions. Yeah. And, and title defenses. Right. Uh, that's a big difference. You know, in WWE, you've got the champion will go on tour and he'll wrestle the house show tour for Raw or SmackDown and defend the title like 20 times or something. You're not going to see that in New Japan. Like, a title a title defense is going to be documented. It's going to be on tape. And it's going to be a big deal. And it's going to be recorded. It's recorded. If you go on, like, Wikipedia, you can see how many times Hashimoto defended his title or how many times... You know, Fujinami or Vader defended the title, and that's how they decide who has the most prestigious title runs and who was the most successful champions. Uh, just like in real sports, like boxing, you can tell how many people, how many times someone had a successful title defense. It's a big deal. In WWE, we have no clue how many times someone defended right. the belt. Yeah, I mean, because like you said, those house show loops. They end the show, you know, with you know AJ Styles is defending against Jinder one weekend. He's defending against Rusev. He's defending, you know, all these title defenses, but. You know, WWE, what happened on the house show, they don't want us to keep track of. They only want you to keep track of what's happening on TV. New Japan, everything's important. Um, something's not going to happen on the house show that they don't want you to know about. Right. Two other things, and I know there's a lot we've already covered. We'll probably wrap this up. Two things I, I just want to mention. One, actually three. One, um, this is kind of interesting. New Japan has no women wrestlers on their roster. They've partnered in the past with some of the Joshi women's wrestling uh, companies, but they almost have no women's wrestling matches ever. Um, another thing is the junior and the heavyweight uh, division. Right. Well, I mean, WWE now have brought back the cruiserweight division, but it's not it's, the same. It's treated differently. Cruiserweights in WWE, they're treated like the redhead stepchild. Um, they don't, you know, give them enough TV time. They're treated as lesser stars. They're pretty much, you know, trapped in their own little segments, and the crowd doesn't care. Right. In New Japan, even though the juniors are separate from the heavyweights, the division, they're treated, still still treated like stars. You'll get a pay-per-view with the junior title as the main event. Kushida will defend the junior title in the main event against somebody. Like, that can close a show in Japan. Yeah, and the other thing too is like it's sort of it's because of the sports centric nature of what they do. Um, being a, a junior literally just has to fa- to do with the fact that you're a smaller guy, and that's about it. It doesn't have to do with the fact of whether you're a lesser star or a bigger star. Just like how in in MMA, you know, George St. Pierre is not a heavyweight, but he's a big star. You can be a big star and be a junior. You just happen to be in that weight class, and that's that's how it's always right. been. Right, it's like that's sports sports base. You know, it's right. All about your the weight class. Yep. And you do have guys that move up weight class like Kenny Omega. He right. used to be a junior. He moved up to a heavyweight division. Most countries um, where wrestling is prominent, you know, not all of them have weight divisions, but heavyweight is always seen as like the major, you know, title. And, and that's no different in Japan. But like in Mexico, for instance, the heavyweight division is almost nothing. And the best stars are like the middleweights, the welterweights, the lightweights. And that did kind of care. You know, Mexico does influence Japan a lot. And that's why they have such a vibrant uh, junior division. Um I mean, probably, like, historically, there's been no better junior division, like, throughout wrestling history than New Japan's. Um, Winning their title means more than almost winning any other cruiserweight division title that exists out there. 
And the final thing uh, is the factions. Yes, that's right. Uh, New Japan, they are big into factions. I mean, there was a, a point in time where Vince was big into factions, but that's kind of changed. Um, you know, we have in New Japan, there's Chaos, Bullet Club, LIJ, uh, Taguchi Japan, Chaos. You have all these factions, you know, it's this like team mentality. Everybody, yeah. they're fighting for their team when they go out there. It, it, it reminds me of a lot. I don't know how many of our listeners watch MMA, but you know, when guys are like on American Top Team or the Black Zillions or, you know, they fight for their team, they represent, you right. know, it's like their training camp. Like, their training camp, exactly. Right. That's sort of what a stable is like. It's not necessarily a bunch of guys that come out and cut a promo and, and jump guys like the Four Horsemen, even though there is some of that in yeah, New Suzuki Japan. Suzuki Gun. Suzuki Gun. And they have heel factions and stuff like that. But but essentially, it's so that throughout the year when they have their tag matches, people have partners to partner with and train with and travel with. And it's not so much about like, uh, I don't know, like DX running amok or something right. like that. Or and the NWO. You know, for example, you know, a guy like Ishii, he's a member of Chaos. I mean, you're not going to always see him in a big, uh, you know, group promo with Okada and Yoshihashi and Goto. He's going out there in a one-on-one match. He's out there to win, but he's still representing that Chaos brand. And, you know, you asked us about the shareholders, TV companies, things like that. I don't think we can, uh, with a lot of authority or certainty, cover that aspect of it. But I will say, um, you know, I don't know. I think that they're they're not necessarily a publicly traded company. I think they they were owned by Ukes. And then I forget the company that, that has the uh, controlling interest in them now. But the, the, the bottom line with... Uh, New Japan is they've got the best in-ring product when it comes to wrestling today. That's why we cover it and we like it so much. Um, it, it's because the focus is on pro wrestling and the biggest difference there is what, Jer- just to recap what Jeremy had said earlier, WWE's, even though they're a wrestling company and they're the biggest out there, their biggest uh, focus is not always on the wrestling. It's on a lot of other things too, you know, so. Right. That's it. That, I mean, there's a lot more we could cover, but that's those are some of the more... Right. And Ricky and Clive, my advice for you guys, I mean, watch Wrestle Kingdom 12 and then watch WrestleMania this year mm-hmm. and you'll see the differences. Yeah. Wrestle Kingdom is a great way to get into, to start the year getting into New Japan because they're going to have the best matches of the year. Generally, everyone works the hardest, just like a WrestleMania, but even more so on Wrestle Kingdom, as crazy as that sounds. And, um, you know, it's a great way because you, you get to see the, the culmination of... All the stories of the year, and then you can watch New Dash, uh, New Year's Dash the next day, and then you know follow it if you like it. If not, no worries, just you know. Right. Uh, but at least get some uh, exposure to it because it's really good. Yeah. All right. So the next question comes from Rich Latta, the host of One Nation Radio here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network, also writing on the main page on LordsOfPain.net. Uh, he says we're going to get Jericho versus Naito, aren't we? And so, for those of you that haven't been following, Jericho and Naito have been going back and forth in the media and on social media about this whole issue about the main event. You know, um, you know originally, Naito, he won the G1. He's challenging Okada for the heavyweight title in the main event of the show. But along comes Jericho challenging Kenny Omega for the U.S. title. And it's now a double main event. New Japan is promoting it as a double main event. Jericho and Omega are promoting it as a double main event. And Naito does not like that. And keeping his strong style, we are clearly promoting one of those matches 
if you caught our last episode, we had a really freaking awesome intro. Good job on that, Jeremy. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, no, but I'm just playing. But uh, yeah, it's been really interesting. I mean, the question is, are we going to get Jericho Naito? I guess the real question is, are we going to get Jericho again after Wrestle Kingdom? Period. <laughs> right. And for those of you who don't know, Jericho, he's actually signed on to wrestle the, the next night at the New Year's Dash show, which is always happens the night after Wrestle Kingdom. It's almost like the Raw after Mania. Well, I, you know what? To be honest with you, I've, I wasn't sure if he was going to wrestle it. I'm not surprised. Most of the guys that work the Tokyo Dome always work New Year's Dash the next day, even if they're not like an official signed New Japan guy. Um, there was a uh, I can't remember if it was an interview or podcast. This well, essentially the same thing. But they were talking to Jericho this week. Somebody was, and they said something about him only wrestling, you know, uh, one match in Japan. And he said, "I never said I was going to wrestle one match in Japan. I said I would wrestle one match against Kenny." And he kind of just left it at that, which would lead you to believe, oh, maybe he's playing it close to the vest. Is he actually planning to work in Japan again? Um, but then. There's deniability there. Jericho likes to work people and keep them guessing. Maybe he just meant that he's working, you know, New Year's Dash the next day and that's it. Or maybe there's something more to this. And uh, this whole thing between him and Naito is actually the building blocks to another feud. I mean, if who knows? What if Naito wins the title and Jericho's his next title challenger? I mean, right. I, I don't know. You never know. I mean, honestly, at this point, I would not be surprised to see Jericho versus Naito. I would. I would. Really? <laughs> I mean, to a degree, like, uh, I was surprised that Jericho came, is here at all. Right. Well, I mean, at this point, I mean, we saw how it all started with Omega. It started with them going back and forth on Twitter and the media. So, same thing's happening now with Naito. The seeds are planted. I get it, but I'm still, I would still just be surprised because in my mind, Jericho's still a Vince McMahon guy. And at the end of the day, he knows where his bread is buttered. And I would really be surprised to see him stick around any longer than this one show. Maybe, I, maybe I'm maybe i stupid and I shouldn't be so surprised about, you know, Jericho can do whatever he wants. But uh, I would be surprised. I'm not saying that it can't happen or it won't happen. Right. And it, I think most of us at this point, we don't want to get worked by Jericho anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we, don't, we don't want to get the wool pulled over our eyes. So, but I'm... I'm hesitant to say that I think it really depends on how things go at the Tokyo Dome uh, or maybe they've already got a deal signed we have no idea we got no idea we had to watch and see but I mean it sounds like Richard I mean you tell us bro it sounds <laughs> like you uh, think that Jericho and Naito are gonna have a match I mean it could be it could be we also got one more question from Rich. He asked us... Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Bro, you don't get to come on our show and ask two questions. <laughs> Skip it. Nah, okay. go ahead. So he asked uh, about Cody Rhodes. Is he good? Yes or no? Of course. I think he's good. He's not great, but he's good. Uh, well, he could be great. He could be great. Um, I mean, he's definitely gotten a lot better since he's left WWE. He's been having a lot better matches. And um, you know he just had a, a title run, title run as a Ring of Ring of Honor World Champion, which he just lost at Final Battle. I mean, I think what Rich is really asking us is: Is he good in the ring? I mean, is he good enough to be in New Japan or fight on New Japan? I think he's good enough to be in New Japan, of course. Uh, is he? Can he get over New Japan? It's the big question. I mean, he doesn't really fit the mold of most uh, famous gaijin that have been over there. You've got super uber athletic, like junior type uh, wrestlers, including Kenny Omega, who Kenny's not a junior anymore. But I mean, the style of wrestling he wrestles, 
But he got over as a junior. He got first. over as a junior, and I mean, he carried that up to the heavyweight division. I mean, he's so athletic. I mean, um, and then you you look at like the monster gaijins, you know, the Vaders, the freaking Doctor Deaths, and the Stan Hansons, and Cody's nothing like any of those guys. I guess you could say Cody is maybe akin to like not to say he's as good as Ric Flair, but maybe something like a, a more classic standard wrestler. I don't know too many of them. I don't know, maybe Johnny Ace, but maybe Johnny Ace is one of the only guys I can think of that like really got over in Japan wrestling that way. But Cody's been every time Cody goes over there. I mean, maybe it's just because he hasn't had enough time or in front of the cameras or like something about his uh, gimmick doesn't translate yet. But they they don't care about him at all. Yeah, <laughs> they uh, don't care about him in Japan. Yeah, personally, I think he just needs more time over there. He's only been over there a handful of times, not as much as times. Yeah. The Young Bucks and uh, even Marty Skrull. So, but there's uh, other guys like my, Marty Skrull's a great example who, because of his gimmick, is just over right away. Right. And his because of his in ring work, he's over night one. Whereas Cody's had, they put him in prominent matches. He had the match with Juice last year. He went over on Elgin. Um, yeah, the match with Okada at Long Beach. Now that was his best match I've ever seen Cody in. And I mean, of course, it was with Okada. And I think that that does answer some of the question that you have, Rich. Is Cody can Cody be is he good? Yes, he's very good. I don't think I've ever. I don't think I ever see Cody in anything less than like three to three and a half. So, and I mean, the three. We live in a six star generation, of course, but right. three stars used to be, mean that this was a decent to passable match. It's a good match. Uh, I thought that match with Okada was like four and a quarter, maybe right. like, like around there. It was very very good, and I think Cody could be great, um, but. You know he's still young. the 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 jury's out on Cody. I mean, you would you what would you say? Yeah, I mean, oh, give us some more time. Let's. I would like to see. I would love to see him in the G one next year. I didn't think he got the opportunities to be great when he was in WWE, and some of the times where they did let him try to deliver, he did. Um, but then they they would pull back on his push. Um, like, that's you know in WWE that start and stop pushing on certain guys. They give you a little bit and then they pull the rug underneath you. In Ring of Honor this year, from what I've seen, I really haven't been too impressed to be honest with you. In fact, his last match I saw, I was underwhelmed significantly. I think Cody, I think Cody has enough tools and talent to be better than what he is. But I don't think Cody's bad. Cody is good. So yeah. I mean that's that's our answer. Cody's good. <laughs> we'll see if he's great. All right. All right, and the last question in the mailbag comes from Dylan James, one of the most active members in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group. That's our community group on Facebook. And he's a member of Team Instinct. What's the... Uh, oh, for uh, Pokemon Go? Yeah, wasn't that his, uh, his uh, picture for a long time? <laughs> I think so. It was uh, the Zapdos or whatever? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I, it's not Mystic, and it's... Yeah, yeah I think, it's, it's uh, Instinct. Yeah, yeah, Team Instinct. What's up? All right, so he says, even if New Japan went live on Access TV, would they be considered to be competition for WWE in the U.S. if it were to remain on Access TV? Um, that's a pretty loaded question. I mean, well, we have to suppose a couple things. When you say if it went live on Access TV, so we're assuming, uh, do you mean like live weekly or live like ever just for some big shows and by live in order for them to run live in the US they have to run basically in the US because there's no way they're going to run live new japan shows at 3 and 4 a.m. in the morning on access so that's one thing right. to clear up I mean, there no, yeah nobody's I mean you could all set your DVR but you know you want the live rating nobody's gonna wake up you know 3 o'clock 4 o'clock in the morning to turn to access to watch it um 
Fast forwarding, uh, you know, let's just say hypothetically, New Japan in some capacity is running live in some either regular or semi-regular capacity here in America. Um, are they going to be competition for WWE? Absolutely. They're competition. Are, are they going to like overrun WWE or like take over? Absolutely not. Yeah, WWE, I mean, they are the top promotion in America. And I think they always will be. They're so established. I don't think anybody is going to come and knock them off. When you when you look at the production value and that, just think about this, uh, Dylan, Vince, and this isn't a WWE show. Um, how many shares did Vince McMahon just sell? Like millions. But how many shares were they? It wasn't that much. It was like, wasn't it one million? No, I mean no, it was shares. Yeah. Man, I wish we would have done our homework because we didn't. I, I didn't think of this. All I know is that like he sold like a hundred and a hundred million like shares worth of stock, and he still has. I think I was reading he still has like eighty percent controlling vested like interest in the company. Right. So you're talking about a billionaire, a company that's backed by billions of dollars, billions. Um, <clears throat> there are other companies like Ring of Honor is backed by Sinclair, and Sinclair is much bigger than WWE. But the actual money machine that's invested in Ring of Honor, it's, it's, it's not even hardly a fraction of what WWE gets. Same thing with New Japan. They might be the second biggest uh, company in the world, and they might be very lucrative and be doing well business-wise. But if you watch the shows like me and, me and Jeremy do, when they're touring, we talked about it earlier where they tour, they're not running in... 10,000 seat arenas every night. They're running in like 2,000. Yeah, 1,000, 2,000. I mean, we saw in the World Tag League. I mean, they are running like little gymnasiums. Yeah, they run. They run. It's funny because they, they run their uh, tour shows the same way that a local indie promotion in, w, in North America or like in Europe, like Progress and all those guys might or even RevPro. But then they run the big shows and they'll go to a giant arena or they'll go to the Tokyo Dome and they'll do big ticket sales. And they are the only one of the only companies out there outside of like Mexico and outside of America that are running small independent shows and then running big shows. So but like when you compare it to what WWE, even with WWE's house shows being down and everything, they're just they run arenas. That's all they run is arenas. All the money, the merchandise, the revenue that they they bring in. There's there really is no company. Even with New Japan getting on television, they would have a television product, but they would not have the touring power, the revenue. The, right. I mean, like, you'll never see a main roster show at a high school gymnasium. You'll see NXT in like a small little 500 seat building, but you'll never see a main roster show in a 500 seat building. I mean, I think that their idea of their business model and success for them is very different from what we are traditionally used to seeing growing up in the 90s, seeing companies like WCW and WWE. We, we have a different idea, but like at the end of the day, the, the simple answer is there is no company in the world that's even a close second to the size and the the, the power that WWE has behind it. Even with a lot of the mistakes they make and, and all, all the various different gripes people have, they make money in spite of themselves. Right. They're making a lot of money. But I will say this, with the more and more um, the New Japan is on access and the, the better those shows do, you are going to see more of an American footprint for the New Japan promotion here. And it's going to get more popular. You're going to see more t-shirts and hot topics. There'll be more shows here. Um, I think I think them coming here doesn't threaten WWE as much as 
uh, I mean, yeah, it could be a threat, but at the end of the day, it benefits the industry. It benefits business for WWE to have a company that actually challenges them and gives them competition in any sort of sense and creates a different cultural like psyche of you know what is wrestling and and these different products that are out there and the more and more people become aware of it and, and get exposed to this type of wrestling and this type of product it's better for the health of wrestling as an industry which is what is needed um that's pretty much my take on it really right. and um, i'm glad you brought up access tv dylan because there's a lot of stuff to talk about with New Japan and Access TV. Uh, first of all, you know we briefly mentioned it on a show a couple weeks ago, but uh, Wrestle Kingdom 12 will be airing on Access. Uh, what is it, the next day? or? T- it's No, it's two days. Two day, the two-day tape delay. Uh, Three-hour special. They're showing the three big matches. The IWGP Intercontinental title match with Tanahashi against Switchblade Jay White. The U.S. title match with uh, Omega and Jericho. And the heavyweight title match with Naito and Okada. Um, I mean, this is a big... Um, Mark Cuban, he owns the Access Network. He had to pay a lot of money to get Russell Kingdom 12 to be on a two-day tape delay. And uh, Mark Cuban also recently did a interview with Sports Illustrated, kind of talking about um, New Japan's success on the network and you know how much of a fan he is of Jim Ross. And he said, you know, he started tuning in just because he likes Jim Ross, but <laughs> he's actually becoming a fan of New Japan and just how rabid the fan base is for the product. It's interesting because, and we've we talked a bit about this, like you said a few weeks ago, but I didn't think I didn't feel like we covered this enough because I mean this is a big deal. You know, Mark Cuban being the the founder and CEO of of Access TV. Um, him just acknowledging the success that New Japan is having is a huge like boost just in general like it's a huge affirmation because they run their um, Access TV fights every single Friday night they used to have before New Japan was on it it was strictly MMA and some kickboxing they used to have uh, M- like an MMA show with a uh, oh man I, f- I think it was Mar Ronaldo and Boss Rutten yeah, yeah yeah and it was a really good show and they canceled that and then they they started bringing on the New Japan show a couple of years ago and he said that over the past few years I mean the New Japan show is not live except for when they did the G1 special last year or this past year um, you know it's a canned show it's on tape delay and I mean the matches that are happening happened a long time ago in most cases months ago and um, the fact that like the he said that these shows are getting higher ratings than the live MMA matches they're they're making money Access TV is making money by airing New Japan. The bottom line is they're profitable off of it. Exactly. And, um, you know, speaking of, we talked about the Long Beach show last year that aired live. Well, New Japan is coming back to Long Beach March 25th for the Strong Style Evolve show. Um, the website for that show is launched. Uh, keep your eyes peeled for tickets for that because it's going to sell out very quickly. What is it? StrongStyleEvolve.com or something? No. Uh, I mean, the best way to go, just go to NJPW1972.com uh, and you'll see the the link for it the site there on the main page I think they said the tickets are not out yet but like keep it said just keep your eyes yeah. peeled 
But, you know, that, I'm assuming, they haven't made the access announcement yet, but you can only assume that they are going to air those shows live again. Well, that's only one show this time well, he, on access. He mentioned, he said that they're working with New Japan to create a relationship so that, and this is what Mark Cuban was talking about, to where he said that they want to do more live shows. And if he's saying he wants to do live shows... He's not talking about we we talked about this earlier. He's not talking about right. airing things at three and four or five in the he morning. He wants prime time, eight p.m. He wants more shows in the United States. That means United States television and programming. He and he he said that they paid a Jeremy said it, but they paid a lot of money. He said that they had to pay New Japan a ton of money to get that two day tape delay. And he said that throughout the year when these big shows are coming up, I'm assuming like things like Dominion and King of Pro Wrestling that they're going to show those sooner, like on a two-day tape right. delay. And I have to say, this year, 2017, they did a better job than they did in 2016 bringing the matches a little bit closer. They weren't as far out as they were before. They're actually probably only like a month or so off now. Well, they were like playing catch-up for years, trying right. to like catch up to where they are now, and they, they've they just kind of started to get... I mean, we're like a month behind most of the time at this point right. on, on Access TV. Um, but w- going back to what we were saying, essentially, Mark Cuban wants to have live U.S. specials. Right. I think it's interesting how we're not getting a two-day show this time like we did for the G1 special for this uh, Strong Style Evolve show. It almost leads me to believe that maybe, just maybe, we might get a tour or multiple night uh, shows here in the U.S. in the near future throughout right. this year, possibly. I mean, who knows? I mean, you know, after the Long Beach show last year, they announced that they would be back. So after this Strong Style Evolve show, there might be you know surprise announcement that they're coming back again in 2018. So that's something we'll have to keep our eyes on. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how it's all going to shake out for their U.S. expansion and, you know, trying to run their company as a regional promotion the way that a territory did, you know, out out of California. I don't know how ultimately that will play out here in the U.S., but just the idea that we get more exposure in our time zone instead of having to watch it on delay is a really cool idea. And the fact that a guy like Mark Cuban, who's a billionaire and he owned the Dallas Mavericks and, you know, and he's like this tech icon (laughs) um, that he has this hot product on his radar and he's talking about it in Sports Illustrated. It just goes to show you like how um, marketable New J- like a foreign product right. like I mean, New Japan is in America. Like I said, the American footprint is going to keep getting bigger the hotter New Japan gets. So uh, we're going to transition now. Great question, Dylan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and guys, feel free to keep sending us questions um, in the Wrestling Squared Circle group or you can tweet us at KI Strong Style. Retweet me at Jeremy L. Donovan. Uh, now we're going to talk about the Road to Tokyo Dome shows that happened on 12-17 and 12-18. I mean, these were, you know, okay shows. I mean, I would say the angles on these shows were more interesting than the actual matches for the most part. Would you agree with that? Don't ask me to talk about it. I'm pulling it up on my uh, on my <laughs> iPad. I have to remember what happened on these shows. <laughs> no, well, the uh, they were good. Uh, they were I mean, like, they were Road to Tokyo Dome shows. I mean, the Road 2 shows are, you know, they're they're not big shows. <laughs> right. They're just set up for the big shows. and um, But there were some a lot of news that came out of these shows. Uh, one of the big things that we talked about a lot was the never six-man titles being on the line 
um, Evil, Sonata, and Bushi defended the titles against Tamatonga, Tangaloa, and Bad Luck Fale. That was and like that was December seventeenth. That was a week ago. Okay, right. so and like, night one. And like you uh, said, you said you know that. Um, Lij would probably lose the six man titles on a road to show. That's exactly what happened. Bad luck, Fale, Tamatanga, Tangaloa. They defeated Lij and became the new never six man champions. Yeah, um, I mean that was interesting. <laughs> uh, no, I watched both of these shows, you know, and uh, the burnout from watching tag league the way that it was, um, you know, it was nice to have a little break and then to kind of jump back into these road two shows. And I mean, they were they were easy to like digest. There was nothing that was like blow away. This like the never open six man tag match was just okay. Um, they did work me a little bit. There was a point where. Um, because I knew, I I mean, obviously I knew that LIJ was going to drop the titles. It, right. It's the only thing that made sense. But um, there was a point in the match where they got, I, what's the what's the move that they, is it Ma- the Magic Killer? Yeah, Magic yeah. Killer. They stole that from uh, Guns and Gallows. Right. Yeah, so they got uh, Fale up for the, after Bushi sprayed him with the mist, and they got him up for the Guns and Gallows, or for the Magic, Magic Killer, Killer, all three of them. And when they dropped him, I was like, they won. I like. I, I, they popped me for a minute, and then, and then I had to re- like remember in my mind they can't win. And then the the pinfall got broken up, and then they ended up. Uh, how'd they lose in that match? Um, I, if I remember correctly, I believe Bad Luck Fale hit the grenade on, on Bushi. Bushi. He got his revenge on Bushi. Hit the grenade, got the pinfall, and now Bad Luck Fale, Tamatonga, and Tangaloa are your new never six man uh, champions, and they'll be defending those titles. At Russell Kingdom, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, um, you know, we, we can talk about the Young Lions matches, I guess, when we start to cover uh, the the tournament. But they opened both of these shows with Young Lion uh, qualifying matches for the tournament. Um, other than that, I mean, you know, there was some tag team, like multi-man tag team matches. There wasn't anything that was like really, like blow away, really. We saw the uh, debut of Masked Horse. <laughs> well, we talked about that last week. We saw it on, on New Japan lineup. We were like, what is Masked Horse? Uh, and it ended up being uh, Taguchi under a Lucha Mask with like a horse. Why are you, why are you giving it away right away? <laughs> no suspense. No showmanship. Hey, guys, this is what happened. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, but the first night they were, you know, selling it pretty big. Like, who is this guy under the mask? The, the weirdest thing was those promo videos that they aired before, before he yeah. came out. Um, I think that may, maybe it's a cultural thing. I didn't understand because we can't understand what they were talking about. But I was like, what is this freaking video? video with this dude and then uh he came out and he was chewing on the carrot yeah and spanking himself with the the whip or whatever it is it was weird (laughs) yeah it was really weird but the next night uh they ripped the mask off it was revealed that it was taguchi um, I mean, obviously, if you, everybody knew it was Taguchi, but everybody was playing along. But it was the, the big reveal. Yeah, the masses took off. It was Taguchi. Um, they um the the uh, the promo that you told me about after the first night, and then I went and watched it when he was yeah, like, hilarious. He's like, um, I was abandoned by my parents, and then I was raised by horses. And then I got abandoned by the horses, and I was raised by a pro wrestler and trained in pro wrestling. <laughs> and he's like, I, I wrestle for my master. And they're like, who's your master? He's like, he doesn't want me to say, but my movements are very similar to him. You, you'll be able to tell who he is when I'm in the ring. And we're right. like, what? 
Uh, I don't remember who it was. One of his teammates, uh, it might have been like Kojima. Yeah. After the like first night, and they were walking off, he was like, because uh, they were supposed to team with Tanahashi, and he, he's like, Tanahashi, please come back. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it was Kojima. Yeah. He said Tanahashi. Get, yeah. He's like, hurry up and come back. Hurry up and come he, back. He walks <laughs> off. <laughs> then somebody was like, your voice sounds familiar. Oh yeah, yeah. No, that was Kushida. Kushida's like, he's like, who are you? And he's like, I'm, uh, you know, nobody. And he's like, your voice sounds familiar. He's like, oh okay. <laughs> Um, and then, I mean, the big, I guess the, um, you know, the, I'm trying to, th- oh, yeah, yeah, So, like, Suzu- there was the Suzuki gun match uh, against Hanari, Tiger Mask, and Jushin Liger. And, um, like, no, 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 I'm sorry. When when was the, when was uh, Minoru coming out with the Clippers? When was that? That was the first night because he shaved Yagi, and Yagi was shaved for the second night. Oh, my bad. So I'm, I'm talking about the wrong Suzuki Gun match. Okay, so Chaos wrestled Suzuki Gun. That was a tag team match. Right. And... Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Suzuki comes out uh, with the Clippers, and he freaking shaved Yagi, the young boy, shaved his head yeah. after the match. Um, that was crazy. And, I mean, obviously, uh, it's been confirmed that there's going to be a hair match, so that's part of the gimmick. We'll talk more about that. But uh, that was one of the angles was, you know, Suzuki acting like a madman, walk, just going around ringside, like, threatening to shave people with the Clippers. But, yeah, well, we can talk a little bit more about that hair versus hair match right now. Um, sure. Yeah, I mean... Honestly, when that was first announced or they were first doing that angle that was going to be hair versus hair, I was kind of confused. Yeah, and Why were they doing it? Like we, like we mentioned earlier, they don't really do gimmick matches like this. But then if you watch the promos with the English subtitles on their YouTube channel, um, Goto is so desperate to get back the Never title and get a shot at Suzuki that he's willing to put up his hair. That's all he has to give up to put on the line. To get this never title match. Well, all throughout the tag tournament, he almost every promo he did was about Suzuki, and Suzuki just kept uh, saying like, you know, why does he keep challenging me? I already beat him this year, and I'm saying the same thing. Why does he keep challenging him? Where he see, saw Suzuki right, beat this right. man? Um, and Suzuki basically was saying like, there's no reason to fight him because. He has the belt. He already beat him. He's the better man. There's nothing really to prove. And I mean, he said it in his own Suzuki way. So while when we first saw this break, I was like, a hair versus hair match. This is not Mexico. Right. And it's <laughs> this, like, it has uh, no meaning. Suzuki, I mean, his, half of his hair is already gone anyway. Yeah. And Goto, like, does Goto, Goto doesn't seem like a guy that would care about having a bald head or even having hair at all. Like, he's he, he seems like a pretty low key guy or like a pretty low maintenance dude. I don't think he's like a real, he's not like a, uh, I don't know, like a, a Tyler Breeze character where he really cares about his looks or his hair, you know? So, right. it was how really was confusing that, at first. How's that shame, you know? But then um, as we started to w- go back and, and watch the, uh, the English promos, which uh, for those of you who are listening, you can actually go on YouTube and go on the New Japan uh, English page and watch the promos in English. And it kind of gave more insight where uh, Goto basically said that when he tried to challenge Suzuki, he said he wouldn't face him because he had nothing to offer. So he's like, well, I have nothing left to offer. So I offered to shave my head basically if I lose. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be, he the, the story is this is a man that's so desperate to get a title shot. He will literally risk anything he has to just to be able to get his hands on Minoru Suzuki one more time and get a chance at the Never title. And then um, Suzuki basically said in his promo, why does Goto care about his hair? So he asked the same question we did, and he said, ah, I get it. When the new trainees come in, they get their head shaved. 
So it's like it's it's almost like a demoralizing or like a, you you have to like hum, a humbling sort of right. experience. He's pretty much if he loses, he'll be he'll be lowering himself to young boy status. Yeah, he'll be lowering himself to the young boy status, and the other guy gets the champion, the championship. So then uh, that's why they made it a hair versus hair match. Uh, well, at first it was just Goto, but then as time went on. Uh, it seemed like Suzuki got so fixated on the idea of the Clippers and and laying it on the line that he said, all right, whoever wins this match, not only do they get everything, they get the title, and the other guy gets the Clippers. Right. So whoever loses, so it's hair versus hair at this point. So either Suzuki or Goto is going bald in the, in the Tokyo Dome. Right. And then the, the final stipulation with that match... There's going to be no interference. Because That's right. Yeah, no seconds, as uh, Suzuki said in one of the English promos. You know, do, do, have you? Do you know what seconds out means? Are you like familiar with that? No, but I'm assuming that means like your seconds, like your, you know, manager or somebody that comes behind you comes second to you. Yeah, I was on the New Japan Reddit today, and a lot of guys didn't know what seconds out was, and I felt weird because I, I don't know. I guess I watch like a lot of anime with like boxing and stuff where they. they the guy your second is your corner man or the guy that come and that's hey uh ricky and clive that's another thing in new japan they have a lot of seconds guys that come and manage the other guys but anyways um obviously there's a lot of interference with suzuki and his handlers and so a lot of people on reddit were like what are seconds like because they were literally thinking of seconds like in time right and i was thinking oh it's the guy that comes out with you in trains so it's weird that people don't know that but uh anyways Goto basically in a promo told Suzuki you cannot win without interference basically and that infuriated Suzuki to the point he said all right at this point I'm gonna prove I'm the better man I'm gonna humble you Goto I'm gonna shut you up once and for all hairs on the line titles on the line no interference no one's allowed the chaos not so allowed that means to be- no Takamichi no who no Desperado no Izuka no Taichi no Taichi no, no Kanemaru no KS yeah. they're, they're none of them and no chaos so there's gonna be no Suzuki gun no chaos it's a straight up one on one fight to the finish and whoever wins gets the belt and whoever wins gets uh, the Clippers yeah it's pretty cool so. and then um, the last match of that show was the uh, so we got two nights of this and we can cover it I guess both nights is a uh, we got Okada and Yoshihashi the first night against uh, Takahashi and Naito, and then we had another tag match the second night with yes uh, Okada and Rapungi three K. That's right, six man against uh, who was that Naito? Who else was on? Who's on Naito's team that night? I can look. Okay. Um, oh, Bushi and Takahashi. Oh yeah, so it was juniors and juniors and right. heavyweights. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So at the end of the first night in that tag match, like he said, it was Okada and Yoshihashi against Naito and Takahashi. Um. Okada he used that new Cobra Clutch submission on Takahashi, tapped him out. He uh, put Naito in it again, right? Right. Well, it's like the fourth or fifth time he's done. Right. It. Well, he, first he refused to break the hole on Takahashi. And uh, Naito tried to break it up, but uh, Okada was like no selling the kicks. But then uh, Okada left him laying with the tombstone and the rainmaker. Um, and, That's right. And then the next night was a six man tag. At the end of that show, at the end of that match, you had um, Naito pick up the win. He hit the uh, Destino on I believe show. show. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, Naito got the win there. I'm still not sure which one's show and which one's Yo. I honest. know I'm having I'm having a hard time <laughs> figuring out which one's show and which one's Yo. I gotta like. Oh, it was actually it was actually Yo that he he hit the Destino on. Um, 
And so then after the match, they kind of went back and forth on promos. And then um, Okada eventually locked in that Cobra Clutch on Naito, but Naito countered and hit Destino. So I w- yeah, so I guess you know we talked about this in the last show where you know the uh, this Cobra Clutch finish is supposed to be some sort of big counter to stop the Destino, and he's put it on uh, Naito and left him laying in the ring more than on more than one occasion so far, leading up into their match at the Tokyo Dome. So on the final night of the Road to Tokyo Dome, Naito countered it, but I wasn't really impressed with his counter because his counter was essentially when he when he goes to uh, put on the um, the Cobra Clutch, Naito yeah. like arm drags. Yeah, it was him. pretty much just like an arm, it's drag, just an arm drag or like a gap throw. It wasn't anything like big. Yeah, so it wasn't anything where I was like, oh, that's devastating. I don't know if that's officially the his counter. But he's proved that he can counter it. Right. So maybe at Wrestle Kingdom, he'll pull up a better counter for and then it. He, and then he kicked Okada in the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> and then hit, hit him with Destino. The interesting thing was the first night when Okada... Uh, was left standing tall. It was cool, and then he came, you know, to the back and he cut a promo. But the the second night when Naito uh, was left standing tall, they rained like snow, like confetti, and it right. was like a championship celebration. Like, and all he did was kick this man in the balls and freaking <laughs> uh, hit his finisher on him. Um, I was really, I was surprised by that because I guess the idea is to leave Naito looking strong to really create the doubt in in people's minds that hey, he's capable of winning the title, which he absolutely is. Right. But I was really. Really puzzled a little bit by that, and like it reminded me of when I was at. Uh, it reminded me of when I was at SummerSlam '93, and they rained the confetti for Lex Luger. But he didn't win the title, and I was confused when I went or the the balloons. And I, I went home and I thought he'd won the belt. Right. And my dad had explained to me, no, he won by countout. And I was like, wait, then why did they drop all that confetti and balloons? You mean he did not win the belt? I, I you know, I couldn't understand that, but I was wondering, um, do you think that them leaving Naito standing tall like that is an indicator. I mean, if, if this is WWE, we know Naito's not going to win the belt, essentially. <laughs> I don't I know. I mean, personally, I mean, uh, next week we're going to do our Wrestle Kingdom 12 preview and predictions. But I'll just say it right now. I personally, I think LIJ are winning all their matches at the Dome. I think Naito is going to win the title. Do you think? Um, do you think that them like leaving that scene that way was a precursor to what's actually like going to happen, or is it something that's supposed to like create doubt in people's minds, or what? You know, what were they I'm, doing? I think it's a little bit of everything. I mean, it's, it's creating doubt. Like you know, can Okada withstand another intense title match, or you know, is Naito going to do the same thing here and get the win? And you know, this feud has become more has started to become more personal. Um, Naito won MVP in Tokyo Sports. We mentioned that last week. Yeah. He also won um, MVP in um, one of the weekly um, pro wrestling magazines. Oh, so he won in weekly pro and in Tokyo Sports. Right. So Both. He, he won two MVPs. And so... You know, oh, you were saying that earlier, and I was you were saying that we were going to cover that today. And I was like, uh, we already covered that last week. And then it just dawned on me. You're talking about weekly pro. Right. Weekly pro wrestling reader wow. awards voted uh, Naito as the Japanese MVP and the most popular wrestler. Man. So um, Okada has been kind of throwing that in Naito's face, especially after night one. He was like, oh, I bet you're happy being, you know, MVP. Well, that's not me. I'm a pro wrestler. 
Yeah. Like, I'm happy winning. He was like, I bet you... Basically, he left uh, Naito laying in the ring the first night, and then he was like, hey, ma- hey big man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Ric Flair. Hey, hey there, big man. No, but he's basically saying, hey, you know, you're the MVP. You're, yeah. yeah, you're the MVP, you're the MVP, but MVP. I left you laying. Hats off to you, man. You're, like, you're the big draw around here, right? But I left you laying, right. and I got the gold strap. That's right. He's like, I'm the champion. Like, you can be the MVP all you want, but I'm the IWB, IWGP heavyweight champion. Hey, to be the man... You gotta beat the man night, so that's what he's basically saying. And then, uh, so going on like to the second night, what were you mentioning there? So yeah, so before that whole uh, encounter happened, they were kind of going back and forth about on that promo. Um, pretty much, Okada was kind of throwing that in Naito's face about the whole MVP stuff. Um, that was kind of like the breakdown to their brawl. Man, it's interesting. I didn't realize he won it for Weekly Pro too. Have you ever seen the Weekly Pro in Tokyo Dome show? I have not. Oh man, that. So that's a really interesting story. Uh, in 1995, Weekly Pro, which is aside from Tokyo Sports, the other largest public, and I think at the time was like the largest publication for uh, pro resu and all wrestling in Japan. They decided to run their own um, wrestling show, spot like their own sponsored wrestling show that they held, and every single major promotion in Japan had a match represented on the show. So there was like IWA. All Japan, New Japan, uh, and then all sorts of like independence, and it's like one of the most famous. They, uh, it's one of the most famous like, um, like cards in in like res- in Japanese wrestling history because it was like sixty thousand people in the Tokyo Dome, and uh, the top two matches was All Japan and New Japan. And in the All Japan match, they had a six man tag that uh, Dave Meltzer said was like five stars, and it like blew everything on the show away. <laughs> and then in the main event, they had uh, Chono and I think Hashimoto. Maybe it was Chono and Muda or Chono and Hashimoto, and it like stunk up the joint, and people like were literally leaving. And because New Japan was the bigger uh, company at the time and had more sway they literally put an injunction on weekly pro from ever releasing the tape and so it never got released commercially at all because they didn't want their biggest competitor it'd be like if wcw put on a show last that sucked in wwf at the same time it put on a show that was like five stars right before it right they wouldn't want that That tape to be released Yeah, yeah yeah so it's but you know what the interesting thing is you can find this this entire show on youtube you can find it's a long show. It's like five or six hours, but you can't. There's no tape that exists of the main event. You Man, can't find that, it. Dude, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, also on night two of the Road to Tokyo Dome show, Tanahashi returned. Oh yeah, the uh, Tanahashi promo. Yeah, that was he, yeah, crazy. Yeah, he returned, and he was attacked by Switchblade Jay White. Yeah, he came out and, like, made an announcement just that, like, hey, my knee's getting better. You know, this is what's going on. Uh, let's talk about Tanahashi's hair for oh, a minute. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was watching this and doing a little bit of tweeting at our on our show account, at KI Strong Style, and I said, what is Tanahashi <laughs> doing with his hair? It's like a mess right now. I was like, who is this woman that's calling herself Hiroshi Tanahashi, <laughs> and why is she in the ring right now? Yeah. I, I did not understand who... Even though he's the ace, man, he's got to get a handle on what what's going yeah, on. Yeah, he needs to tighten up with his, his hair. <laughs> but like you mentioned, yeah, he said that he was getting better, and he, he will be at the Tokyo Dome to defend the IWGP IC title. And then all of a sudden, Jay White comes down the aisle, and uh, you know, comes in the ring and starts confronting him, and you know, he's he basically. Uh, 
Tanahashi takes off his jacket. He's like, hey, you want to do it? We can do it right, right now. And then Jay White takes off his jacket and then they go to blows. Jay White, I think Jay White said, you don't want to do that. You don't remember what happened last time we were in the ring together. And then uh, they start going to blows. Uh, I think Tanahashi was getting the better of the exchange right. first. And then and Jay he, White did like a chop block or a He attacked the knee. knee. Yeah, oh, yeah, he did He did a dragon screw. Yeah, he attacked the injured knee. And then uh, he, he uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he put him in the, um, the freaking Gary Goodridge UFC spot where he, he uh, put him in the crucifix. He tied up his arm and his yeah. leg. And he started Elbowing. elbows and hammers. Like, uh, have you ever seen that clip with Gary Goodridge? He knocks that dude out? No. Oh, you <laughs> Jeremy, I got to show you yeah, this, bro. Yeah, we'll watch that after this. It's like one of the most famous like UFC <laughs> knockouts ever. It's like it's it's like a 12-second match and the guy gets caught in that that, that same spot and he but he goes to sleep for real. And so anyways, Tanahashi literally got left knocked out. So, the- second time in a row, JY has left Tanahashi laying. Um, yeah. Do you think this is too much too soon for Switchblade Jay White? Um, you know, I'm a fan of the product, but I can't say that I've seen a lot of Jay White. I hear he's very good. Uh, a lot of people are predi- a lot of like New Japan fans are predicting that he's going to be like one of the next big things. I saw him wrestle WrestleMania weekend last year, um, and he was pretty good. But there was nothing that to me that indicated like this guy's going to be the next big star. So when he came back and they gave him this push, I didn't really know what to make of it, and I still kind of don't. Um, I am surprised that they're putting him in such a prominent role. I don't think that like Gato and those guys though would do this if they didn't have some sincere faith in him. And I don't think Tanahashi would work this program with him unless they really, right. really saw something in right. him. Wrestling Tanahashi in the Tokyo Dome is a very big deal. It's almost like wrestling The Undertaker at WrestleMania. Not anybody got to do it. It's usually somebody, you know, the company has faith in somebody that's special. Um, I, um, you know... I can't say that I know that it's going to be a great match or anything, but I feel like they've been putting him over huge in yeah. these last two these last two segments that they did back in uh, what was that? That was Power Struggle the first time he attacked. Yes, him. Power Struggle. Yep, the same night that Jericho was there. Yeah, so that was Power Struggle. And then you know the second time, I mean, he really left Tanahashi laying. I felt bad. I was like, man. He freaking knocked out the ace again. Like, <laughs> oh, well, it's funny. I told uh, Rich this the other day. I was like, they can, Jay White can do whatever he wants. But he better not injure Tanahashi so we can't see him WrestleMania weekend. <laughs> um, I did. I, I caught his promo after the match, and he, you know, essentially, I thought his promo was pretty good. Jay, uh, Jay, Jay White's, White's promo, yeah. I saw but that. he said something to him. He's like, he's like Tanahashi, you can call yourself the ace all day, but you're not the ace. I see it in your eyes. You don't believe it, and I definitely don't believe it. You're not the man that you once were, and I'm going to prove it to everybody. I don't know. Something about that just – it really, like, reminded me of, like, Owen Hart telling, like, Bret Hart that he's going to take him out, you know, right. this like this young upstart kid. Also kind of remind me a little bit of uh, legend killer Randy Orton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It had a little bit of, like, that that young Randy Orton flair to it, uh, you know, telling, like, Mick Foley how he's going to put him out. <laughs> um, so I'm excited for it. I thought that was the best. Uh, angle of the second night for sure. Yeah. And then also um, there was a press conference after that second night and it was announced that... Oh, the next morning? Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, before the show. Then, uh, it was either before I have a show. Was it? Man, we don't know. We're in America. Yeah, I don't... Uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> the press conference happened the same day. It happened, guys. <laughs> and it was announced that Jericho versus Omega is now no disqualifications. 
that's in a way huge and in a way not really a big deal at all at all at the same time. <laughs> right. Well, here's the thing. In New Japan, like we mentioned earlier, they really don't do gimmick matches. They really don't do no disqualification matches, partially because the refs usually let them get away with doing whatever they want anyway. You hit it right on the <laughs> So that's why I was like, it's a big deal because they don't do gimmick matches, so it's a huge deal. But then the fact that almost every match feels like it's a no DQ match makes it seem like why is this even a gimmick <laughs> which, which means they're probably gonna take it to like a whole nother level like they're yeah. probably gonna do crazy spots and honestly I think this no DQ stipulation helps Jericho because you know he is older he's not the same you know Jericho and he's very prime and they can rely on the no DQ gimmick to help get a better match. Um, I've heard a lot of people say that, and I, I see where you're coming from that. I don't, uh, I, I think that could be partially true, but I don't fully agree with that. Um, I thought that Jericho's match with Kevin Owens at WrestleMania last year was great. I think Jericho at this point, especially with a worker like Kenny Omega, are they capable of pulling out a four and a half to five star match in a, in the standard like big match Wrestle Kingdom scenario? I think so. I don't think he's at the point in his career where he needs right. He, he doesn't need the no DQ, but I think that helps. But guys are acting like he does. Right. I don't, think, I don't like think he needs it, but it helps and it helps make it different from Okada and Naito. I think that that's a good point. I think it does make it different. What I think is. I don't even know, man. You know what I think? I think that Kenny and Jericho have been hanging out and they started watching a bunch of Mid-South and a bunch of CWA and they're like, I've never done this in my career. And Kenny's like, I've never done this in my career. He's like, what if we just ran a Magnum versus Tully angle and wrestled a match like that? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> That's what I really think is going on here. I don't right. think it's so much that they need it or whatever. I think they just want, I think creatively, this is just what they want right. to do. I mean, it makes sense with the last angle that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. at the World Tag League Finals in Fukuoka. Yeah, well, it had to go this way after that angle, after the the two attacks. Right, you can't have them going there in a normal one-on-one match. Like, Well, I mean, you know, you had Roman Reigns and Triple H try to do that, and look how that <laughs> turned out. They had a blood feud buildup. They had a blood feud bu- buildup. Uh, freaking Triple H left uh, Roman Reigns bleeding on Monday Night Raw in like the Go Home Show, and then they come and out they there. They had a standard wrestling match. They had a classic they had a triple. They had a Triple H wrestling match. They had a classic catch as catch can Jack Briscoe versus Dory Funk Jr. wrestling match. Oh man, <laughs> that was terrible. And it, we were. I remember the build up for that show. We were like. There's no way this isn't going to be no DQ. There's no way it's not going to be a street fight. Oh, there was a way. Yeah. And so, yeah, the the logical booking is with the type of uh, the type of angles that they run. They ran. This has to be a no DQ match. And I mean, I I can only think of a few matches like this ever in New Japan. I mean, Bad Luck Fale and uh, Makabe had a Last Man Standing match like four or five years ago. Um, like we mentioned, there was a ladder match with Omega and Elgin. This year, they uh, had some like death they had, matches they had, they had, with they had uh, the Texas Bull Rope death match with um, Yano and Suzuki. Yeah, and then, and then uh, Suzuki had another death match with um, Goto. It was the uh, but really all it was was a what's it called a uh, 
a lumberjack match. Right. He had a MMA style like you MMA rules match with uh, Sakuraba a couple years ago at Wrestle Kingdom, but um, I know they did have some death matches in the uh, early two thousands with uh, Onita when Onita came over. Yeah. He had one with Chono and he had one with Muda, but those didn't really catch on. Um, oh. <laughs> Have you ever have you ever seen the Desert Island match that uh that uh, oh man who was it It's like Tiger Jeet Singh versus um Inoki the Desert no. Bro we got to cover that match <laughs> It is so bad it is so they 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 get on boats and go out to a desert island to have a match that was so explosive it couldn't be it, it had to be on an island with no crowd oh my it, bro, gosh that's like one of the first like real and then gimmick matches that they've had i mean they've had like new japan used to have like these mixed styles matches in the 90s where they'd have a a, a proto mma type fighter come in and wrestle a wrestler they did those a lot but i can't Hey, listeners, if you're out there, tweet us. I can't think of a single no disqualification, like, street fight, really, that I can even think of. Yeah, I can't think of any either. So this is going to be... It might be a first. Yeah. We'll have to look. This will make this match even more special. Like I mentioned, it makes it different... It adds um, intrigue to the card. Right. And it makes it different from Okada and Naito. Well, well remember last year when... Um, man, it was really tough uh, because... When Naito and, and Tanahashi had that classic wrestling match, and then they and the crowd was so freaking hot for that, and then the crowd came down, and then o- Omega and uh, Okada came out. I literally was like, "How can they freaking go on after that?" And then they did, and they had a six star match. Right. But that's not every not every like matchup of wrestlers can do that. So when you have a match that's gonna be hardcore based blood feud street fight um and then you have a classic wrestling match that's more athletically based the big match feel it it is nice because they're not going to necessarily have to compete against something that's so similar right definitely uh contrast and styles and it's a good uh to mix it up when those matches will be back to back on the card so that pretty much will wrap it up for the road to tokyo dome shows and that means aside from what we're about to cover that is the last major show before Wrestle Kingdom, baby. All right, and like I mentioned, uh, next week's episode, we will be doing our Wrestle Kingdom 12 preview and predictions. We'll go through each match and give our predictions and break them down and get you pumped up for Wrestle Kingdom 12. Should we bring on Rich? Yeah. We should bring Rich Ladd on the show. Yeah, let's do it. We'll, we'll reach out to the big league. Um... Mr. Uh, L.O.P. Mr. Lords of Pain Wrestling. <laughs> the, the heat magnet. Mr. Latta uh, freaking Latta's Lariat. Mr. Dead Man Walking because I'm trying to shoot on Phil Baroni. <laughs> I, I, I told him today he's a heat magnet. Yeah, this um, man's crazy. Yeah. But yeah, we, we might bring on Rich Latta. We'll see. We'll see if he's got time for us in his uh, schedule. Yeah, yeah, we'll see if he can, he can pencil us in. <laughs> um, so yeah, next we're going to cover uh, Lionsgate Project 10. This happened on December 21st. This was the show to determine the Young Lions Cup winner. And we actually watched the show together here at the Strong Style Studios. Oh, my, uh, my place is Strong Style Studios? <laughs> <laughs> nice. I didn't even know. I've been living here. I'm in. The, I'm living in the dojo. The, yo, the young yeah, boy's living in the dojo, yeah, bro. Watching the young boy's dojo. Um, so, you know, the first match. Well, we just to kind of cover, like, uh, we 
watched every uh, match from this six uh, six participant single block tournament, and they had the first two uh, the first two nights that we covered, and those matches were really good. And then um, to open up for the uh, road two shows, they had qualify they had a uh, you know nights tournament matches yeah tournament matches nights three and four, and so I think like going into the final night and they what was interesting was. Um, during the Young Lions Project uh, eight and nine matches, which were the first two nights, the matches were like longer. They were somewhere between like seven to like 12, 13 minutes, and they were like pretty meaningful and good. And then those last two nights during the the openers for the uh, for the freaking the road two shows, those matches were like five minutes. Yeah, they were really short. I was really surprised about that. Um, you know. You would think that they would give them a little bit more time on those shows. Well, they were openers, so it made sense. Right. I was very uh, disappointed because we, we ended up getting Kitamura against Kawato. And I thought that was actually, of all those those two-night matches, I thought that was the best match of those two Potential, nights. Potential, yeah. Yeah. No, I thought it well, ended yeah. up being the best. But it could have been better. I could, ex- yeah, they only wrestled five minutes. Right. I expected they should have saved that match for the Project Gate show. Well, it's cool because that match might wind up one day being like a bigger match. We only got like five minutes of it, so it's not like they gave it away like too early. So maybe it'll down the road it'll be a bigger deal because those are like the two top guys. Um, but leading into this tournament, so you had Kitamura. Leading the pack, he was uh, four and zero. Oh. Right. He so he'd beaten everybody, and he was gonna uh, wrestle Oka in the final. Oka was three and one. He had lost his. The only match that he lost was to Kawato, and Kawato came into the final night as a three and one as well. And the only guy that he lost to was Kitamura, and then uh, Narita. Who was one of my personal favorites and Yagi both had zero wins leading into the final night. Final night, and I think Umino only had like one win. Yeah, Umino. No, two wins because he beat Narita and he beat Yagi. Right. And so it set up a situation where Narita and Yagi were in the first match, and both guys had zero wins. And talk, let's talk about that match. Right, so Narita and Yagi, this was the best match of this show. <laughs> young it was boy, the best match of the tournament, man. Yeah, young boy and I we were here marking out in the dojo. Um, dude, these guys—you want to talk about strong style? This was strong style. These guys were slapping the crap out of each other, bro. Drop kicking each other so hard. Yagi came into this so Yagi was one of the uh, young boys the night before at ringside and he happened or no it was the uh, the first night yeah December 17th Rotu show he got shaved by Minoru Suzuki yeah he was trying to protect the people in the crowd from Suzuki and Suzuki just grabbed the poor fool and (laughs) just started shaving his head and in a I mean, this might be sound bad, but like, you know, Narita, Yagi, and Umino, they don't necessarily look alike, but they're all like similar build and they all have black hair. And it, sometimes it's hard for me to tell them apart because they all wear the exact same trunks and the same, same boots. boots. Yeah. So when Yagi got shaved, a little part of me was happy because I was like, I'll be able to tell them <laughs> apart now. <laughs> like something kind of like defining. But man, he doesn't look good with that bald head. And I think that that's why he came to this match so pissed. Yeah, he was fired up. He was really fired up. And I, I like, like Narita better than Yagi. Uh, Yagi's my least favorite guy in the tournament, but maybe not after this match, because as much as I like Narita, Yagi was hitting him with some of the sickest, like, 
Wahoo McDaniel slaps I've ever seen in my yeah, life. Dude, both of those guys were just sounding off. I mean, the, hard strikes, the, the face, drop kicks, bro. The drop, the drop kicks. Oh my gosh. Literally running at each other full speed and drop kicking. Like this. It looked like literally it would have hurt. I think Yagi drop kicked Narita so hard. I couldn't imagine how Narita's like knees didn't like buckle or hurt. Like, cause it was actually, it was like a football collision is how hard it Pretty was. Pretty much. Yeah. Like Narita was running at Yagi and Yagi was running at Narita. And <laughs> Yagi jumped up and drop kicked him as Narita was running at him. And they did that spot a couple times in the match. And then um, in the middle of the match, they started slowing it down. And we're talking about a match here, guys. We don't really, when we review shows, there's very few times you can hear us talking about the details of a match unless we really, really like it. Um, but Yagi and Narita were trading uh, the freaking Boston Crabs, which we saw so many matches end with Boston Crabs in right. this tournament. And something like we talked about before, um, you know, the young Lions are restricted on what moves they can do and the Boston Crab is one of the moves they can do that's one of the go-to submission moves that usually ends matches you know I, I jumped online to see who else reviewed this uh, show and these matches there was only a couple people there was almost no love for this match what? yeah I couldn't understand it there was a lot of people that weren't digging this match and I was like this was the best match of the entire the whole tournament. tournament and um you know they so they started getting down to like 10 minutes and then all of a sudden it was like 12 minutes and they started wrestling frantic going for pinfalls going for submissions and i didn't really i wasn't picking up on the fact that they were nearing the end of the match and then jeremy was like yeah well because i can because obviously like the, the announcer was speaking in japanese but i could hear like the frantic like tone in his voice like Whatever he was saying, like he kept, I was too in the match. I was too into the match. <laughs> like, I wasn't even paying attention like, to it. I'm guessing he was saying, like you know, like two minutes left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One minute left. Thirty seconds left. <laughs> like, like, like uh, 1992 WCW, you know, <laughs> television title match. Lord Stephen Regal's about to retain. Time limit draw. <laughs> right. You know, it was like almost like an Iron Man. That oh, the time's counting down. It's almost that time. And then it got to the final like couple seconds, and Yagi just freaking like slapped Narita so hard in the face and just starched the dude. And he's he he. Crum- he sells it so good. He crumbles to the ground in a in a way that looks for real, for real. Not the way, like not a back body bump. He like just falls he over, and crumbles. crumbles. Yeah. And Yagi goes for the pin, and it looks like he's gonna get it, but the timeline Time, expires, yeah. and so these guys end up with zero, zero, and no. one. Oh yeah. Yeah, but they, they got one. Point they got one point for, for the, the tournament. Draw. So yeah. they got no wins and one draw for the whole tournament. But uh, Nari- of, of the the three lower guys, Umino, Yagi, and Narita. Narita was my favorite dude of those three who got booked on the lower end. But this match really put Yagi and Narita over for me. If you guys are listening, I would. It's a 15-minute match. I don't know how many 15-minute matches I'm going to sit here and be like, uh, maybe like four to yeah. four and a quarter. Yeah. like It was like in that range. Go out of your way. You know, subscribe to New Japan World and look up Lionsgate Project 10. It's the opening match, 15-minute draw, Narita and Yagi. It's really it's good. Worth it's worth the really, watch. It's really, really good. It's, I mean, um, you if, you like, if you like Shibata and Ishii and Strong Style Wrestling, you got to see this match. Oh, the, they were doing headbutts. I mean, they weren't doing... Oh. Like real headbutts, but when because of like the implications with Shibata, anytime someone does a headbutt in New Japan now, the, the people like they freaking gasp. gasp. Yeah. yeah, crazy match, crazy match. And then uh, second, <laughs> and the second match we had uh, Kawato taking on Umino. Umino, yeah, which is Red Shoes' son. 
And um, the, uh, because this was the finals, I think they worked way harder. All these matches got way more time than any of the other shows. Um, I, I remember thinking this was very good. Um, Kuato obviously shined because he's the best one of the tournament, really, realistically. Yeah, he's the top young boy. Uh, he looked good. I mean, I was impressed with uh, Yumino's uh, selling of his leg in uh, night one and two of the Tokyo Dome show. And in this match, he came in, I believe it was his right knee that was uh, injured. I thought it was interesting. Uh, Umino, the first couple nights, he worked heel. And I thought he, he was pretty effective in that role. And then he kind of worked baby the rest of the with tournament. The, with the knee injury. Yeah, with the knee injury. And I think it was cool to kind of see him like revert back and forth to see a guy like that get uh, exposure both ways, you know, or like experience, I should say. Um, but obviously, Kuato hit him with his Trouble in Paradise kick, whatever he calls it. Right. I don't I really know what it's spinning, called. Yeah, let's call it Trouble in Paradise his, for now. His spinning super kick his or co- whatever. Kuato in Paradise. The, the, the Kuato <laughs> dream. I don't know, but it, it, it's an awesome kick. And then he, anytime Kuato grabs just the one leg and leans back with his signature pin, you know that the guy's out, out. So uh, that's when it's like over. And Kuato got the win here. And uh, you know, came out looking strong. So that set up a situation where Kawato at that point was four and one, and then Kitamura was four and zero, oh, and Oka was three and one, and Kawato had beat Oka, and. Kawato and Kitamura be Kawato. So it left us a situation in the finals where if Oka were to win at that point, then it would create a three-way tie because he lost to Kawato but beat Kitamura and Kitamura beat Kawato. They would all end with equal points and it would end in a tie. We'd have some we would need some sort of tiebreaker between those three competitors. Which that was the option that you were hoping for. I was is what I was predicting, but then on the other end of things if Kitamura won, not only would Kitamura go undefeated in the tournament, he would also win the tournament because he has more points than everybody at that right. point. So that that it created kind of a, a an epic feel to the final match of the night or the, of the tournament. And uh talk about Kitamura and Oka, Jeremy. Yeah, so Kitamura and Oka, that was another great match. Um, Oka, you know, comes in there, brings it to Kitamura right away. A lot of strong strikes, trying to, you know, beat Kitamura to the punch. Yeah. You know, he knows Kitamura is stronger than him, and he's going to outpower him. But even though Kitamura is stronger, there were some spots where Oka showed his strength. Um, it was like a big uh, scoop slam that he got uh, Kitamura up I think for. he was hitting him with some cool gut wrench, like suplex, yeah. too, because he's like got that Greco style. Yeah, the Greco style amateur wrestling. Also, Kitamura was also an amateur wrestler. Oh, and the strikes. Kitamura was hitting him with those chops, and Oka had to keep trying to like match his chop. and like Yeah, they were doing a chop battle. And Kitamura would sell it. But you could just obviously tell that Oka was not even able to hit Kitamura as hard as yeah, Kitamura did. did a good job selling it. But, yeah, they were not as hard. Kitamura would strike back and Oka would, like, bend over, like, holding his chest in pain. Kitamura sells really well for a guy his size. It's really believable, but it doesn't make him look weak. Right. I mean, that's – I mean, part of his training, a lot of the matches he's been in – Focuses on 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 him selling. Yeah, um, you know, and Oka has you know uh, a wrestling background as well as Kitamura. They both were like former amateur former amateurs. So there was a lot of flair like it, uh, in the early parts of the match. Yeah, a lot which, of like chain wrestling, a lot of grappling, a lot of like sit outs and like ri- like trying to get the ride and like all that sort of stuff. So, um, but 
Ultimately, uh, what ended up being probably the second best match of the night is a really good match. I would say it was maybe the second best match of the tournament or one of them, anyways. Yeah. Um, uh, Kitamura hits that. Uh, Kitamura hit him with the big spear and the jackhammer. Yeah, and if you guys are listening, Kitamura has been finishing guys with the spear and the jackhammer. I don't know if you've ever uh, watched wrestling or if you know any uh, <laughs> guys out there that use those there, two moves. There's, there's some some guy named uh, Bill. Bill something. That gets over <laughs> doing this this combo. Actually, I remember uh, uh, this other guy who was better. His name was Ryback. He used to hit guys <laughs> with those same two moves. But uh, Kitamura has been finishing dudes with the, the jackhammer and the and the spear, which is kind of interesting that those are the moves. People say he's the Japanese Brock Lesnar, but I think he wants to be the Japanese what? Goldberg. Goldberg was also, in one of his promos, he said... Who's next? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the the second night, he he's like he he cut some promo and I don't know. Kitamura's like Kitamura's promos are basically da 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 da. I wasn't strong enough today. I'm trying to get stronger. I'm gonna be a great wrestler. I will evolve. And now he's saying, "Who's next?" Right. And um, so yeah, Kitamura is our Young Lions Cup winner. And got uh, the big trophy. Got the big trophy. And then uh, news broke today that. Kitamura is going on an excursion. Well, he in, he said he wants to. Well, yeah, he said he's going it's, to. It's not, yeah, he said he, he's going on an excursion in America next year, twenty eighteen. Where do you think the best place for Kitamura to do his excursion would be here? I don't think that it would be best for him to do an excursion. Uh, I think Kitamura is thirty seven years old, right? He's thirty seven. Thought he was like thirty. Was he thirty four? I think Kitamura's thirty-seven, man. Wow, is that old? I'll I'll look it up. Okay, but I um I think that Kitamura is uh like he doesn't need to go on excursion. He's the least young boyish young boy. Right. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. He's not that old. He's thirty-two. Okay, right. he's thirty-two. So you know he's still older than majority of the young boys. Yeah, and. You know, the point for guys to go on excursion, it is to get experience, which he desperately needs, and to, you know, maybe get a gimmick and to learn different ways to work and all that. And it would be beneficial, but usually when they send guys away, they're young. Um, they're not over. They're, you know what I mean? Kitamura is super over already. He, in the tag league, I think he proved that, like, he can fit into a, I think that, like, if you put him in, like, an enforcer type role, like, like Batista in Evolution in the early days, uh, he doesn't have to go away. I don't think that it, I don't think it's maybe, maybe in the long run, maybe I'm wrong here and it would be beneficial, but his, he doesn't need a gimmick. Kitamura is the gimmick. Right. Look at him. Look at him. They could probably have benefited maybe putting him in one of the factions. And uh, having him like be the enforcer of a faction, and then kind of break out that way. Yeah. Um, but I mean, since he is going to do an excursion, well, that's what he says. Well, that's what he says. So we don't. I mean, obviously, I, it probably will happen if he's saying it. Um, I mean, I, the most obvious place is, is Ring of yeah. Honor because they have the partnership with New Japan. Um, a, a lot of guys have done their excursion in New Japan. Um, Evil, formerly known as Watanabe. His excursion in Ring of Honor, and so the connection's already there. He'll have people to help him with travel and transportation and translation. Um, he'll get exposure on TV. Um, he'll probably get some pay-per-view matches. Uh, learn that um, the Ring of Honor style, which is kind of a little bit similar, but not exactly the same. But he'll learn that style. Um, you know, it's weird. 
I just thought of this, and maybe the listeners who are listening will think that I'm crazy or that this is a stupid idea, but it's just something that popped in my head. Why not send them to Impact? I know that, like, now hear me out here. (laughs) Okay, I know that um, when they sent Okada there in the past that it was a terrible thing, but let's be clear here. This is not the same company. Um... They work weekly television in a way that, yes, Ring of Honor has television, but it is not really the same. Right. And in and in Impact, these guys don't work the extensive dates that maybe Ring of Honor does. I mean, Ring of Honor is still indie. It's a super indie, but it's an indie. But they're also like sending these, you know, they're sending their workers to Mexico and to Europe and to the indies extensively. And, you know, I feel like you, you send them to Ring of Honor, at this point, a guy like Kitamura is so high profile that whatever he ends up doing, he's not Jay White and he's not Takahashi. Whatever he ends up doing in Ring of Honor is going to stick with him forever. I think you send him to, to a place like Impact, he still gets to work with great workers. Maybe he gets more opportunities in some respects that he wouldn't necessarily in Ring of Honor. And then it's more low profile because at this point... Impact is a more low-profile company. Don Callis is there. Right, that Don Callis can work that uh, New Japan relationship. I don't know. Like, I, I haven't heard anyone talk about this. Don't. I'm not sitting here saying I know that he's going to Impact or don't. <laughs> right. And we've never talked but, about this. But right. I mean, it's a good option. Why not send him there, right. you know, instead of sending him to Ring of Honor, which is a, a more high-profile. Impact, um, they're trying to mend that relationship with New Japan so they can work together again. And you have... Um, Don Callis, a.k.a. Cyrus, there. Uh, so kind of like protect him. Right. He's and maybe a, book uh, him properly. Right. He's a co-vice um, president um, with yeah. Scott Moore, So he's going to be in charge of the booking. And I'm sure Scott or um, that Cyrus would protect Kitamura and uh, help him get over. I mean, you have stories of guys, you know, like Muda, who did go away and got way way over in America and then you've got stories of guys like Tanahashi who didn't have to leave and he was able to stay and get over in my mind I don't think Kitamura has to leave I really 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 don't see the need for it because Kitamura I don't what expose like what can what can he learn and maybe I'm saying this wrong what can he learn working with the guys in America that he can't learn working from the best workers I mean is it is it What's more beneficial, working with Tanahashi, Okadas, and Naitos versus coming over to America, working with like Johnny Mundos and, uh, you know, like, I don't know, like <laughs> Jay Lethal. Yeah, like Jay Lethal. You know, that's great. But I, for who he is and what he probably will end up meaning to the company, I feel like it's almost better. A waste to, of time. It's a waste of time. Keep him there and make him a national hero, which is what he's probably going to be set up to eventually be anyways. But if they're going to send him away, you can send him to Ring of Honor. They've done it with plenty of guys. But I think he is such a high-profile type of, type of dude. I would send him somewhere maybe a little bit smaller where it's a little more low-key and it's not so uh, entangled with the, like, canon. I mean, not that Ring of Honor is canon, but a lot of stuff that happens in Ring of Honor is sort of semi-canon to New Japan. Another place that doesn't have as much exposure, maybe you send him to an Evolve. Um, you could you could put him on the indie scene in America, but then who's gonna tra- who's gonna take care of him? 
Yeah. Who's going to travel with him and teach him English and, like, watch out for the dude? Well, I'm sure they wouldn't just set him up here by himself. Somebody would go with him. Like, if, send him with, like, Funaki? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know, but I, I, I'm excited about this. I really, I liked, I mean, Kitamura is, um, he, it's exciting that, you know, they're deciding to get behind him and push him. I mean, logically, I think most people expected him to win this tournament. And it was a really cool tournament. And, I mean, they were trying to uh, – we, we talked about it before. It was, like, the m- memorial tournament for their head trainer over there at, in the New Japan Dojo. Um, I think Kitamura is a guy that, that's going to become a big star. So, I think that it makes the most logical sense to give him the success. So, when they point back to this tournament, it's like a landmark moment for his career. I don't know what happens going forward. But I don't see Kitamura being – if he goes on excursion, I don't see it being a long excursion at all. We're talking less – maybe half a year less yeah, than that. six months, yeah. Six months. And then he's back, and he's going to come back with, with you know – this is a dude that I could easily see, like, with a title – like a like an IC title shot within a year or two, honestly. Yeah, easily, easily. Easily. I think we'll see him in the G1. Oh, Maybe yeah. not this year, but maybe the next year. Yeah, and I think that he'll do awesome in that tournament. Can you All imagine right. him and Michael Elgin? Oh, my. Dude, can you imagine <laughs> him and Ishii? Yeah, yeah, I can actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before we move on, we were kind of uh, just breezing over some of those matches. I did want to say, if you guys get a chance, you should really check out the striking exchange between Hanare oh and, my and Ishii the other yes. night during yes. that tag match. Oh, I think that was the second. Was it the second it was the night, night. of the Tokyo Dome show? Oh, my gosh. It yeah, was Hanare and Makabe against Ishii and uh, Yano. Yeah. Yeah. That And, bro, Ishii was freaking Dude, killing. I tweeted out, Hanare has a death wish. <laughs> he was hitting Ishii so hard, and Ishii would fire up and hit him back harder. I don't even really like Hanari that much, but seeing that strike exchange was where I was like, man, maybe there is something to this guy because he would, they were freaking going to war, bro. I mean, yeah. those were, it was, that was some, that was, that reminded me of like Hanma and Ishii from a couple years ago, the, the strikes that they were doing. Yeah. Awesome. All right. We're going to get ready to wind the show down for a few little uh, news items. Uh, first thing, uh, the full Russell Kingdom car- 12 card is set. Um, all the matches are set for that show. We, um, we're not going to go like in depth, but we should at least just announce what the full card is, I suppose, real quick. Right. Do you have that uh, pulled up? Yeah, let me pull that up. Wrestle Kingdom 12. Nah, yeah, yeah. So they announced it just the other night. We've got the – it's 11 matches. And the show is going to open um, just like it does almost every year. It's going to be the New Japan Rumble, the Rambo. Um, that's going to be on the undercard. We've got uh, Rapongi 3K against the Young Bucks for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championship. Um, the new match that they just announced, and a lot there's a lot of speculation about so many guys being left off this card. Well, we now know that they're going to be doing a gauntlet match for the Never Open Weight Six Man Tag Team Championship. They're doing uh, the champions, which is the Bullet Club. Bad Luck Fale, Tamatanga, Tangaloa. They'll be defending against Chaos, which is uh, Trent Beretta, Ishii, and Yano, against Michael Elgin and War Machine, which is a really strange combination in yeah. some ways. Um, Suzuki Gun, which will be Taichi, Izuka, and Zack Sabre Jr. And then Taguchi Japan, which is Juice Robinson, uh, Ryosuke Taguchi, and Togi Makabe. Uh, we have a special singles match. Yep, Cody versus Kota Ibushi. 
Then we also have the IWGP Tag Title Match Killer Elite Squad. That's Davy Boy Smith Jr. and Lance Archer will be defending the titles against the World Tag League winners, um, Evil and Sonata. We have the uh, Never Open Weight Hair vs. Hair Match, Minoru Suzuki vs. Hiroki, Hiroki Goto. They're calling it the No Seconds Death Match. <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, we've got the four-way match for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship, which is Marty Skrull defending against Hiromu Takahashi, Kushida and Will Ospreay. Uh, The IWGP Intercontinental Championship match, which is uh, the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi against, uh, is it Sling Blade? Yeah, Switchblade. Switchblade, Jay White. And then there's the uh, No DQ IWGP US title match of Kenny Omega versus the Alpha Chris Jericho. And then the main event for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, Okada versus Naito. Awesome card. We'll get more into that, but that's what we got to do. Next week, full preview and predictions for all those matches. Um, next thing, um, we mentioned War Machine in that Never Six Man Gauntlet match. The word on the street is War Machine is headed to WWE. Their final match for New Japan will be the, the trio's gauntlet, and it's possible that they will compete the next night on New Year's Dash. Um, but they've told New Japan that they were leaving. They finished up with Ring of Honor. Um, so yeah, it sounds. It seems like all signs are pointing for War Machine headed to WWE. Interesting fact: uh, Ray Rowe, his girlfriend is Sarah Logan, who's now on the main roster as part of Absolution. So that would kind of help them out being in the same company. Well, they um, you know, we had some speculation about would War Machine. I thought War Machine was absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt going to be involved in the IWGP Tag Team Title Match at. Uh, Wrestle Kingdom. Right. We were expecting either a three-way or four-way in that right. match. I thought they were a strong candidate to possibly even win the tag tournaments. So they were booked strong, but when they lost, we were like, "Well, what do they do for the uh, for you know Wrestle for, for Wrestle Kingdom?" And then when when I heard it was announced that they were possibly teaming with Elgin, I was like, "Well, they." could maybe win the six-man tag titles i mean they've that's another like little feather in their cap if they do win that but then the, the reports started coming out that uh after um final battle which that was strange that they beat they beat the addiction clean at final battle but then at the tv tapings the next night they lost and then did like a final bow and it was like their final date with ring of honor and no one knew and all of a sudden it's like oh wait are they're done with ring of honor and now they've they're, the last two shows that they've got with New Japan are this uh, the Tokyo Dome then they're going to work New Year's Dash and then that's it yeah and so I guess that it's not officially announced but like they're coming to to NXT or WWE um, along with you know New Japan alumni Ricochet yeah who is also out of the company he is expected to also in the next this is all going to happen in January Ricochet is going to be announced to be going over to NXT as well we could be be seeing you know them in the crowd or maybe they'll jump somebody Um, I think both of them will do very well in NXT yeah we'll see what happens well, when we get the main roster. We were struggling about for WrestleMania weekend. Do we go to NXT or do we go to uh, Supercard of Honor? And 
I mean, we we ended up getting Supercar of Honor tickets, A, because they were cheaper, B, because we think it might be a better show, but C, because those NXT tickets were really hard to get. Yeah. <laughs> but now I'm, like, kind of bummed because I really thought War Machine was going to be there, and I'm really – I'm. I'm going to be optimistic. I'm not going to be a Debbie Downer here. I'm going to be an optimistic wrestling hey, fan. Dave Fenichel. We still get the ace and the cleaner. Yeah, I'm just I'm worried about what happens when they when they go over to, you know, to the E basically. Right. But uh, you know, hey, you know, we'll see how that all shakes out, but that they're done. You're right. And then their uh, tag partner in the 6 man uh, gauntlet, Big Mike, his contract is up January 31st for New Japan. There's been no word of if that contract's gonna get renewed. We talked about the Michael Elgin situation on this podcast, um, but usually that kind of stuff doesn't really affect people's careers in New Japan. Well, it does if they're from Japan. If they're from Japan, but like, usually American affairs are not as big of a deal as something in Japan. Well, it's I don't even know if it's like re- reported necessarily. Like exactly. if it was something that was widely reported there, it would be seen it would be seen as being very very shameful and it would basically be the end of Michael Elgin in Japan. Um, we've seen it in the past with different guys. I think it might have been Tai Chi, but I'm trying to remember who it was. Um, that got like a huge deep push when it found out that they were like cheating. Um, we thought that it was going to affect Shibata last year and it apparently didn't, but that he was one of the rare cases. Most of the time though, scandals like this are seen as very serious offenses in Japan. But when it's a, it's an American guy and, and it's already, it's not even big news necessarily except outside of the local internet community. It's not like it's being reported on the news or anything. It's a pretty hush hush sort of subject. I don't know if it's going to affect his contract negotiations, but, um, I mean, do you think that they resign him? Um, I mean, it's hard. I would think that they would. I mean, he's one of their big star, big guys and stars. And, I mean, there's no solid evidence on any of the stuff. Like, he has not been, you know, arrested or, you know, convicted of anything yet. So, I mean, I think... I don't think, even think it's that. I think it's just the perce- if the, if it were to be a big story there, it's the perception of what it means. It's a it's a shameful thing because they're very big on you when you are out of this. You represent the company, right? I mean, I think you can't bring shame on the company. To bring shame I, on the company in Japan is a huge deal, yeah. but I think because it's over here in the U.S., I don't know if it's being reported. I as think anything. they can sign him. If something happens, you release him. I don't know if that. I mean, I assume he's coming back. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, it's not like he had the most stellar booking over the past year or that he was a major emphasis in the company. It, to a degree, he was, but it's almost like he's the secondary gaijin to Kenny's, you know, being the top gaijin guy. Um, I think Mike Elgin's tailor-made. I've said it before, he's tailor-made for Japan. But uh, I expect for him to come back. But, I mean, at this point, anything can happen. I mean, who knows? 
who knows? We could see him go to WWE at this point. That's true. We don't know. He could be joining War Machine and Ricochet, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a couple just more like minor things. They got, uh, speaking of Wrestle Kingdom earlier, uh, ProWrestlingTees.com just uh, came out with two very limited edition Wrestle Kingdom exclusive shirts um, pro- promoting the two main card matches of Naito Nokata and Omega and Jericho. Um, I saw those t-shirts. They're freaking awesome. And they're limited. They're like... They're only going to run the print one time. So, you know, if you're a New Japan fan, it's your only opportunity. That's the only place you can get them is on uh, ProWrestlingTees.com. Also, uh, we talked about the other week that Minoru Suzuki is going to – was announced for the high-stakes show in uh, RevPro on January the 20th, I believe. Well, they just announced the the card and the the match announcement. It's going to be Suzuki Gun, so the tag team of – Minoru Suzuki and Zack Sabre Jr., who is uh, the RevPro heavyweight champion, uh, taking on Mustache Mountain, Trent Seven, and Tyler Bate. And Tyler Bate for the British uh, Tag Team Championships. Um, so we're getting a, in RevPro, we're getting a New Japan versus WWE match on pay per view, essentially, um, which is a I, I mean, I don't know. I really want to see Minoru Suzuki and uh, Tyler Bate wrestle for some weird yeah. reason. <laughs> um, there's another uh, interesting story that, uh, you know, I know a lot of our fans, you know, are wrestling diehards only. I don't know how many of you guys um, follow MMA. Uh, you know, this isn't an MMA show, but two um, outstanding New Japan alumni, Kazushi Sakuraba, who is a, you know, He's one of the greatest. He's the greatest Japanese MMA fighter of all time, and he headlined the Tokyo Dome a, a few years back with Shinsuke Sakamura or <laughs> Sakamura. What am I saying? I'm Nakamura. T- it's been a long day, guys. Shinsuke Nakamura. Um, he has partnered recently with uh, former IWGP title challenger Josh Barnett, who also calls the action on Access Television, um, to start his own grappling, his own real <laughs> wrestling promotion. And they're calling it Quintet. So it's like essentially a grappling promotion where there's no strikes involved. It's just straight up like wrestling. But it's a five on five. Every match is five on five. So one guy start, two guys start, whichever guy loses, the, the next guy from his tournament jumps in. It's essentially a five on five it's gauntlet a, it's like match. It's a gauntlet survivor series match. Yeah, it's like a gauntlet survivor series match. They actually used to do this exact. Uh, style match in New Japan in the 80s where they'd have the first two guys start and then go go back and forth, back and forth and then whichever, the team that wins is the team that still has survivors on it at the end of all the, the five uh, guys. Yeah, or however many rounds it actually lasts. Really, really weird um, to, I mean, in wrestling this kind of makes sense, but in real life to think that there's going to be dudes doing like catch as catch can like wrestling and jujitsu and all that and doing a gauntlet match it's called quintet uh there's videos of it uh on youtube i don't know if it's officially started but sakuraba and josh barnett are involved so it's worth checking out and who knows maybe we'll see those guys back in the new, new japan ring at some point yeah it'd be very interesting all right, well, that's going to wrap up another episode of Keeping It Strong no, Style. we didn't talk about Barnett and uh, Jim Ross. Oh, my bad. <laughs> I thought we, we had mentioned them earlier when we talked about access, but that's right. Jo- Jim Ross and uh, Josh Barnett, um, they signed on a new one-year deal to yeah. keep commentating. 
for access in uh, 2018. Yeah, so I mean, um, a lot of people gave them crap for the G1 special, the uh, G1 in the USA live special, which rightly, rightfully so, yeah. <laughs> is um, you know one of the worst called wrestling, like ma- major wrestling shows in North America in a long time. But that being said, if you guys catch access on Friday nights, those can tape shows. I mean, these guys are getting better and better every single week and every single like recording session. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy that they brought them both back. I mean, at this point, I mean, I can't really, who, who are they going to have call this? Right. I mean, I mean, they, I guess they could do Don Callis and, uh, Kevin, Kevin Kelly, Kelly. But I don't know. I mean, they're not signed by Axis. They're signed by New Japan. So it's a totally different thing altogether. Right. So, I mean, I think it's exciting to see those two guys. Plus, um, I like to see the the matches that they call versus the matches that Kevin Kelly and Don yes, Callis call. Yes, good comparison. Call. Also, it's very interesting because JR is still under a WWE contract as well. Yeah, so he's working, you know, for WWE. He's also doing, like, boxing and MMA calling. So, um Consistency is good. I think it's good for that brand to have those guys there. I mean, you know, it's too bad they can't get Morrow anymore. But, hey, you know, they've got the second best that they can get at this point, which is great. Um, There's a couple other things. One thing I um, I don't know if you caught Kenny Omega's Rolling Stone interview that just came out. No. It's really, really interesting. He talked a, a lot about a, a different subjects. But one of the interesting things was they brought up the fact that he bladed during the promo with um, Jericho. And he was basically saying that, you know, essentially that they don't do that in not only wrestling in general, but especially in New Japan, like, like that never happens. Like nobody bleeds. Anytime someone bleeds, it's hard way because, and it's not even a planned sort of thing. Like it's only like on accident. So in this instance where this is a company that does have sponsorships that are like children's sponsorships, things like that, they have to keep it somewhat PG to a degree, even though like there's a lot of cussing. Yeah. They're a Japanese company. So Americans cussing and saying like it doesn't matter to them, right? Uh, but a guy like cutting his head open <laughs> and bleeding on screen—that's really taboo over there. And so he he said that you know at this point he's essentially a big enough star, and the company has enough faith in him because of the marketability and the business that him and Jericho are doing that they trust him enough to go out there and execute a really controversial controversial um, angle like that is really. Really interesting, and it's uh, the rest of the uh, interview that he did with it's on it's with Rolling Stone. I mean, the fact that like wrestlers are being covered by Rolling, I mean, New Japan wrestlers are being covered by Rolling Stone magazine. You know, yeah. that's kind of that's kind of telling you the magnitude of this match that's coming up. In fact, bro, just the other day, I I, I wanted to tell you I was at work and I've been talking to one of the guys about the podcast. And uh, my buddy comes up to me and he's like, hey. And I was like, what's up, man? He's like, dude, I was listening to the NFL the other day on Sirius XM. And he said that there's a uh, commercial for Kenny Omega versus uh, Jericho. Chris Jericho in the Tokyo Dome. He's like, that's the match you were telling me about. <laughs> and I was like, that was on Sirius XM, like Sirius, Sirius XM radio. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, wow, like this match is really getting a lot yeah, of press. They're making this thing a huge deal. Um, we didn't talk about Cody losing the title. Uh, I briefly mentioned it earlier when uh, during Rich's question, uh, we talked about Cody, but yeah, he lost the Ring of Honor World Title to Dalton Castle at Final Battle. So I mean, that's kind of um, you know, he was he was supposed to defend it against Kota Ibushi at Wrestle Kingdom. That match is still happening, but there is no title on the line. Special singles match, right? The special attraction <laughs> match, which I guess kind of at this point, if you're making predictions, it's going to change what you might 
potentially think the outcome of that match could be. But, uh, you know, Cody is no longer the real world's champion anymore, guys. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, we covered everything. We covered, uh, you know, Naito winning the um, the weekly pro awards and all that. Uh, what was their match of the year? Their match of the year was Okada Omega from Wrestle Kingdom 11. Wow. Um, two, two publications in a row. Right. And, you know, speaking of voting, guys, our... Um, the voting for our Keeping It Strong Style Year in Awards is still open. That poll will close 11.59 p.m. December 31st. So go out and uh, vote. January 16th, we'll be announcing the winners here on Keeping It Strong Style. So get your votes in. Make sure you follow the show at KI Strong Style. Follow at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. Subscribe to the Social Suplex Podcast Network on Podbean, Stitcher, Google Play, or Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Leaving those reviews and ratings helps our show uh, be seen by more fans, guys. We want this show to grow. We've already had so much success with this show and the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We want all our, all our shows to grow. We want the network to grow. So go out and rate and review. And until next time, good night and goodbye. Bang! What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.